We are jumping into the continuation of our sermon series, which is we're just calling stillness. Um, For those of you who've been here, but let's just talk about it for a second. We went through a bit of a moment in our church for a few weeks where God just paused everything. It was really cool. Anyone who's like legalistic or wants church to run from this time to this time, they hated it. Uh, But we really felt like God was pausing everything and saying, just think on what I'm speaking right now, where uh, maybe a Sunday message became less important than uh, what is God actually saying to us as the individuals. Um, I, I do believe that what, one of the biggest attacks I've seen around here is the attack on identity. And I don't think someone can preach you into understanding identity. I think at a certain point, you just have to go to God and let him tell you who you are. And so just as a church, as, as a whole, we're taking a season, like I said, in preparation for how awesome 2020 is going to be, we're just pausing. And we're getting ready for something great. And I think when you point and you look across scripture, you see that consistently with all of our big major Bible heroes. Jesus would leave for 40 days and 40 nights and just get quiet. You know, the Bible says that he arose in the early morning as it was customary. And he would go out into the wilderness for a while. That Jesus would prepare each day and every major step of his ministry. Every time God's about to do something one of a kind, Jesus always rests before and after that moment. And so we know that that in a world where everything's moving and nothing's stopping and you got to race to get ahead and you got to constantly be, be working, constantly be thinking, the wheel's got to be going or you won't be satisfied or you won't be happy, here's the next big thing. Amongst all of that, God is a still small voice that whispers and tells us to be calm and tells us to be still. And this isn't a, a part of my message originally, but I read a, a quote from Judah Smith and I put it on my Facebook, but I wanted to read it to everyone here. Um, He says, uh, you probably can't or shouldn't quit your job tomorrow. You can't abandon your responsibilities or escape the daily noise and pace of life. But in the middle of all your coming and going and doing, you can, like King David, let God level and calm your soul. Even in a world where the volume is deafening and the velocity is dizzying, you can discover sanity, rest, and ease. You can discover a relationship with God that revolves around not getting things from him, but simply being with him. And in that space, you will find a calm and quiet soul, uh, which is what we're saying when we're saying stillness. We're saying, can your soul really be calm and can it really be quiet? We see Jesus sleeping in the middle of a storm. And can our souls do the same thing as it finds its rest in him? And I know that there was a point, I forget what series I was preaching, but I would always say at the end of it, I would always ask, how's your soul? Um, And it's just more on that. Uh, the, your personal relationship with God and the state of your soul or your inner person, your inner peace, um, it really reflects a lot about how your future is going to go. It really does change how your tomorrow is going to look. And so God would call us to be at peace. And that's easier said than done. And that's why we've been jumping in with, uh, with uh, Joshua and them. But I do want to say, Judah Smith in that quote, he said, like King David. And so I went and I was actually studying a little bit about King David. And I found a line that he says to God that he says, I am like a weaned child in the arms of his mother. And watching my son, um, because I have a son now and and he is not weaned. um, He's never calm. He's never at peace. He's never satisfied in mom's arms. Not because she's terrible. But because when he's in mom's arms, his food source is right by his face. Lucky kid. Um, and so it instantly shifts from being able to rest into 
There's something I have to do. And so whenever he's with mom in his arms, he's always moving and trying to turn his head. Even if she's just trying to hold him, he's always grabbing and pawing because he knows where the source of his food is. There's no satisfaction in the arms of his mother. But when a child is weaned and being in his mother's arms doesn't equate to food any longer, but he's still at rest there, what it means is, is that I am in the arms of God without wanting anything. And so when David says that I am as a child weaned in his mother's arms, he's saying, yes, I'm common at peace in my mom's arms. And there's no, no supplement, no nutrition being given to me in this moment. I'm just in her arms. And that he would equate, equate it to his relationship with God. And in the midst of his trials and his storms, say, God, I'm not coming to you for anything. I'm just here with you. Because I'm weaned from what I needed here, but now I just want to be here with you. And that really, truly is the heart of this whole series. I wish I would have gotten that revelation before I preached this because I would have just let that be my thesis verse for the whole talk, which means I'll just bring it up every time until we're done with the conversation. Um, For those of you who aren't aware, um, this is not our Christmas service. Every other church in the nation is having their Christmas service today. My bad. I thought Christmas was later than it actually is. So our Christmas service is next week, uh, and we're just, we're just going to keep the good times rolling uh, with that. Uh, but on this concept of stillness, we've been talking exclusively from Joshua and his people, right? And we've been saying that they came out of the wilderness. They came out of chaos. They came out of death, and now they're going into war. You know, we we talk and it's like, oh, it's the promised land. But remember that when they got to the promised land, anyone who's heard the story, they were too afraid to go in. Because to them at this point, the promised land didn't represent breakthrough yet. Right now it represented war to them. And going from death into war, God freezes all of Israel and teaches them lessons. And we're calling that stillness. And he's, he's teaching them. So this last week we talked about, he's teaching them first, to, or the week before last week, he was teaching them first to go just be personal with him. And then we saw that with Joshua, that when Joshua was in the secret place with, with God and Moses was with him, the Bible says that Moses would get a word and he would run out to tell Israel. But it says, but the boy Joshua would remain in the presence of God. And so as Joshua got alone with Jesus, as Joshua got alone with God, as Joshua got alone with him, he was getting prepared for the next thing. And so when Moses was running, Joshua was still, and that stillness was preparing him for war. And then we talked about as they got to the promised land, God performed a miracle. But what that miracle was was just to teach them faith. He just taught them, I will go before you, I will be beside you, and I will cover you. And so I've gone from knowing God personally, quietly, to now knowing God personally, publicly. And now I don't just trust him with my emotions and my thoughts. I also trust him with the things going on out there. I trust him with my job. I trust him with my relationships. I trust him with the people that I believe need breakthrough and peace. I trust him with the people that are persecuting me or talking bad about me. I trust him with the people that are hating me. And I trust him with my addictions and my struggles. I trust him with all of it. Because first in quiet and then second in the world, he's taught me these things. And, and what I was hoping we would get out of yesterday or last week is that at your job, God can still move. But do you have the faith to see that? And so now that we're coming out of the two moments of quietness, intimate quiet and public quiet, 
We're coming into a memorial. And not a memorial like you see or like you hear about as in something dead, but a memorial as Jesus saying or God saying, build this in remembrance to what I did. Last week we talked on communion and we had communion. And the whole point, Jesus says, take this in remembrance of me. As Christians, we have such a strong thing we're supposed to do consistently. And every time we take communion, we're supposed to do it to remember what Jesus has done for us. But God has always been that way from the Old Testament to now to Revelation. We're going to quote out of Joshua. And then I'm also going to quote out of Revelation. So we're going to go to early and end time and see that testimony is always a big deal to God. He's always about us remembering. But here's the trick. I don't think any of us in this room have a remembrance issue. I think we have a perspective issue. And it's not what we remember. It's how we remember it. And I want to talk about that a bit today. But first, we're going to jump with the Joshua generation. And so we're going to go to Joshua chapter 4. And we're going to read verse 1 to 7. Now, please keep in mind as we continue... uh, The sea is still parted right now. The ark is still in the waters. Israel is completely on the other side, but the sea has not been closed yet. Right? Uh, God didn't just split the sea with Moses. He also split it with Joshua. And so with this in mind, and it came to pass when all the people were clean. Is this ESV? Okay, well, it doesn't really matter. Uh, But ESV in the future, please. Uh, And it comes to pass, when all the people were clean, passed over Jordan, uh, the Lord spake. Is this the King James? No, no King James. I'm out. (laughs) I'm tapping. I'm out. Let's go ESV. We ain't spaking. I'm not. I don't even know how to spake, so I can't do this. (laughs) I'm going to be real with you. I was down to go with whatever version it was, but I'm just, I'm worried about how I'm going to pronounce everything. That's it. This is all selfish. Uh, So (laughs) we'll go ESV. Um, Perfect. Killing the game. Um, When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord spake to Joshua. He spaked it. Take 12 men from the people. Remember last week before they went through the water, Joshua put 12 men off to the side. And I said, that's a surprise for later. This is the later. Because God had a plan before the water split for what he was going to do after the water split. But that was last week's message. Just thought I'd bring it back up. Uh, Take 12 men from the people, from each tribe a man. And command them saying, take 12 stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan for the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly. Draw attention to this. He's taking 12 men from the whole of their community and he's telling them to go back. And that'll be important for how we're talking. Go back into the water. Go back from where you just came to grab stones because I don't want you to forget what you've been through. From the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly and bring them over with you and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. Lay them where you sleep. Remember them as you dream. David says, I dwell upon your word as I lay in my bed. Then Joshua called the 12 men from the people of Israel whom he had appointed a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan and take each of you a stone upon his shoulder. (laughs) So these ain't like, these ain't like little stones, like they're, 
they're, they're not building something small to look at and remember. They're building a monument that will last time, right? Because God doesn't want us to remember things in the moment and then forget. He wants us to remember what he's done in our lives in a major and in a big way because that's going to affect how we deal with him in the future. Uh, I'm reminded of that point in scripture where Jesus is in the boat with the Pharisees. Not with the Pharisees. Never in the boat with the Pharisees. Um, but with, the, uh, with his disciples and he says, beware the leaving of the Pharisees. And then the disciples don't understand what it means. Beware the bread rising of the Pharisees. They talk to each other and they go, he must need bread. Jesus must be hungry. So he wants us to steal the Pharisees' bread. I don't know. Uh, and Jesus looks at them and he says, hey, do you remember when we were out with a group of people and I made 5,000 loaves of bread? And they're like, uh, uh. We might have misread him. Yeah, we remember that. And do you remember another time when we were together and I made 10,000 loaves of bread? And they're like, uh, yeah, yeah, totally. And he goes, uh, so, so why would I need you to bring me bread now? He goes, you're missing what I'm saying. And what I think is so important, he says, because you can't correctly remember the things I've done in the past, you can't understand the lesson I'm teaching you now. Right? And it's such a powerful thing Jesus teaches them in that moment. And he has always been that way. God has always been. Look, we hide, we run, we kick, and we scream from our past. And God doesn't want you to forget it. He wants you to remember it correctly. Remember it from the lens of what did I do during those dark times. Because like we read last week, I make dark things as if they're light. So now you get to look and not be ashamed of who you were, but what did I learn from who I was? God, what did you pull me out of? You know, I used to be ashamed of the drugs and the girls and the things that I had done and how I had fallen, but now when I look back, it's a light of why am I preaching? I don't deserve this. That's the point. That's the gospel. No, you don't, but I love you anyway, so here you are, and I'll continue to pull you through. Amen? So he's teaching Joshua this now, and he's saying, take up a stone on your shoulders, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel. And this may be a sign among you. How many know that your testimony is a sign? Where you've been and where you are now is actually a sign. When the Pharisees went to Jesus and says, hey, if this is real, show us a sign. And he says, your sign is my resurrection. Well, the Bible says that his resurrection is our testimony. Again, he was saying, your sign's going to be a testimony because God hasn't changed. That is how he's dealt with us. That it may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? And that right there is the heart of what I want to talk about. What does this mean to you? What are these stones? What is this testimony? What does it mean to you? And last verse. When you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, when it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. That's why I got the title for the message, by the way. A memorial. Just pulled it out of the Bible because I'm not that creative. Um, I like to think that I am, but I just rip off everything that I do at all times. Um, it shall be as a memorial forever. Um, dear Lord in heaven, I pray that you would make these next few moments matter, um, that, that the words wouldn't fall on deaf ears, uh, that, that all of us together as a community would learn deeper about your truth, deeper about who you are, deeper about where you've taken us, and that we get a proper understanding of our past, not from the perspective of our hurts, but from the perspective of how you're going to use it for future victories, Lord.
And in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Um, I have told you guys a lot of times um, about stories from my past, right? I like to use them as funny little dumb anecdotes that we laugh, we have a good time with, and then we use it to understand the deeper points of the message. Uh, and oftentimes when I tell you guys stories, I always go back to my U.S. government class when I was in senior year, right? Senior year? Because uh, that's where me and Thomas really became good friends. Well, that's where, that's where we became worse friends, but it set the foundation for us to become good friends. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. He gave me a dirty look. It's not true. We've been best friends forever. Um, and there were four of us that hung out a lot. And, you know, we, our friendship was absolutely just a picture of who could be the most terrible in this little group. Who could say the worst things to each other? Who could do the worst? So we were, we were in this little circle one time, and we, we, someone made a joke, and because the joke was inappropriate, I won't share the joke, but someone made a joke. You know that thing where like, someone makes a joke, and someone else takes the joke and rolls with it, and, and then someone else takes the joke and rolls with it, and then we just keep building an inside joke after inside joke, and so Nathan makes, a friend Nathan makes a joke, and then our friend Andrew makes a joke, and I make a joke, and Thomas makes a joke, and we're all just going back and forth, and then we, we, we all kind of locked eyes, because we just had a master plan come together, together. And suddenly, as we're going, everyone's laughing. The laughter is getting louder. It's getting more obnoxious. People are trying to look at us. And then finally, Thomas makes a joke. This guy right here, Pastor Thomas, makes a joke. And everyone, in one moment, stops, no, no, stares at him. <laughs> in the middle. It, his joke wasn't worse. It wasn't even not funny. It was just that we were jerks, right? And he looked at us. His eyes got wide. He says, I hate you guys. And he rolled over and didn't talk to us the rest of class. It was hilarious, right? And so we, we would mess with each other like that. And I miss that class sometimes um, because it was just honestly good times. But one time, Nathan was drinking water. Nathan was our buddy who was like a prodigy at guitar. And I'm not even exaggerating. Like, the guy blew our mind. Like, it was kind of ridiculous how great he was. And then he would use it to do the dumbest, funniest things, but that's not no time for that. Um, and one time he was drinking water. And Thomas, Pastor Thomas, um, <laughs> a few minutes strong now. You guys get to hear terrible things about who he used to be. And I was innocently praying in the corner during this story, by the way. Just for the record, just in case anyone was curious what I was doing. I was interceding for my friend that I knew needed Jesus, even though I was an atheist at the time. Um, and, and, um, and he just grabbed Nathan's water bottle and just, as he was drinking it, just just right down his throat, right? Like he always tells stories like he was the victim, but he wasn't always the victim. Um, and, he's, and Nathan starts choking, coughing his water everywhere. And he looks at Thomas and he goes, I'm gonna get you. He's like, no, 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 we're not cool. That wasn't right. And I'm like, we've done worse. But Nathan just took that one to heart. For some reason, he was like, that was like the greatest betrayal of his life. For some reason, I thought it was hilarious. I mean, Andrew thought it was hilarious. I was praying. Um, and, so, and so, actually, time passes, and we all kind of forget, but Nathan does not. Nathan loses no, this memory is fresh. It's a scar. It's a wound, and he's just cultivating it. 
If anything, he's building it up. Now it wasn't one water bottle, it was 10 water bottles. And Thomas stabbed his mom also. Like there was just like, you know, like it just kept building into more than it actually was. And then Thomas has these chips. And at the time, Thomas didn't have like any money. You know, they were, they were like scraping by. And, and so when he got something for his own, he was like, this is mine. And it was so innocent and so beautiful. And so he got his favorite bag of chips. And he opens it and he's telling us how much he loves these chips. And he goes like this to get him, and Nathan grabs the bag and flings it across the world, right? And the chips fly everywhere. It's raining. What is it? Cheetos? Jalapeno cheddar Cheetos are just pouring across our great nation. And, uh, and I'm dying of laughter, like, right? Because I'm like, you totally deserve that. Because he's like, that's for my water. And it was like, your $1 water, you just, you had to take all he had. It's all he had, man. And he just flings it. And I like, that's the thing though. It's like Nathan did not forget. And the problem was when Thomas looked to us like, what, what, what was that about? We're like, I mean, bro, you did start it. <laughs> you know, unfortunately, Nathan's right. You had it coming. And now he has it coming, and it's going to be a vicious cycle where no one gets any better, <laughs> right? And so what I find is that a lot of times people use their history, they use their testimony, they use their past to get more bitter, more shameful. They use their history of their past to draw gaps between them and people. They use their history and their past to draw distance with God. Uh, we use our history and our past to create animosity or shame within ourselves when God actually calls us to use our history and our past to strengthen ourselves. And, and I would think that most people, if we were honest, we would say when we think back in our past, it's typically to remember that Thomas shot a water bottle down my throat and not to remember the fact that he bought me the water. That's not true, but, you know, I'm just using it for the analogy, you know, and we'll use it. <laughs> he did not buy him the water, but uh, Jesus would have bought the water, um, <laughs> right? Um, and so we use our past to destroy our future. We use our past to inflict pain upon our present. Uh, we use our past to, as an excuse to not trust the people in front of us, even if they've done nothing wrong. Or we use our past to not let someone grow past their past. When God actually thinks the past, our testimony, even the bad parts about it, he thinks they're beautiful. And the reason why I know that is because it was, he sent his son, it was his great joy to send his son. And we got a verse in Revelation that I think is absolutely powerful. Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. And let's let this be the thesis verse of the day uh, in the ESV, please. If, if there's any spaking, I'm out. I will drop the mic and go home. Um, and they conquered him. Him is the devil, by the way. And they conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives, even unto death. And a few things in that verse, if we can keep it up for a second. Um, their testimony involved their old lives. They, they used the how bad they used to be and how bad things used to be and compared them to how great Jesus is in response. And it put them in a place where they didn't think their lives were anything but something beautiful for God. And that actually is how they overcame Satan. And there's something so powerful in that, in the fact that literally, if you read the book of, um, of Genesis, when, when God starts to call Abraham, who is the father of many nations, Father Abraham had many sons, when he calls Father Abraham, 
you'll see that Abraham, whenever God did something crazy, it says, and thus he built a memorial in that place. And it'll often say, and it is there unto this day. And unto this day is not 2019, by the way. Unto this day is uh, when they wrote that book. Uh, but, but that's the important thing about memorials and testimonies is it's supposed to remind us of how good God is until this day. And so actually your old drug addiction suddenly becomes a breakthrough moment. And suddenly, instead of, man, I miss this so much, it can turn into a, man, look how far I've come. And suddenly, that person who, who is so hateful and who is so rude to me, you can finally see, man, there was a time where I would have responded the same. But thank you, God, that I don't. But here, when we mess up, there's another opportunity to remember the blood of Christ. And to say, man, I shouldn't have done that. I can't change the past, but I can change what I do from here on out. And suddenly, if we use our testimony as a weapon to make our past, our future stronger, instead of letting it be the reason why we don't move forward, suddenly this city becomes a different place, and this church becomes a different place, and our personal lives become a different place, and our relationships become a different place. Um, this is the only thing in all of Scripture, and you can, you can check me on this, the only thing in all of scripture that is ever equated to the blood of Jesus is your testimony. The only thing that is just as effective against the enemy as the blood of Jesus, and I say just as effective, obviously Jesus' blood is be all end all, right? But what the point is, is the testimony of what his blood has done for me. And so you actually can't separate the two. Because if the blood of Jesus really is spilled for you and you really do accept him as your Lord and Savior, then things really will change, and those changes become your testimony. And you can't separate them. And so I want to take this thought as we kind of already begin to land the plane a bit because I land for like an hour. And so it's time to start landing the plane. Um, in closing, right, they say when you say in closing, 70% of your audience comes back into attention. That's why pastors say it 10 times every time they preach. In closing, oh, he's about to end. We're back. No, he's not about to end. He lied to you, and he's going to pray about that later. Um, close is a subjective term anyway, you know, like, I could have started closing the second I started, you know, like that's just from my own perspective. Um, but we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the power of our testimony. And so God actually doesn't want you to forget your past. He wants you to remember it, but from the perspective of his blood. He wants you to remember it, but from the perspective of look how far you've come. Um, and as some of you who say, you know, I feel like I haven't come that far. Well, that's why this is the third message in the stillness series. Because what I would say is then get alone with God. Get into communities and talk with people about it. Start to build lasting and genuine relationships. And you'll see behind you how big the gap is going between who you are now and who you used to be. And there's something beautiful about that. Because I think, I don't know many people, regardless of their belief system, whether atheists, whether Muslims, whether Buddhists, whether Christians, I don't know many people who look at their 13-year-old selves and be like, man, I still want to be that guy. We like some aspects of that guy or girl. But none of us, you know, like that, that depressed kid in middle school who was cutting himself because that's something that I used to kind of wrestle with a bit. I don't look back. At, I'm not envious of those times. I don't want to go back to that. Right? But it's so beautiful to look at now because I'm not proud of who I used to be. But, man, I'm so proud of how far God's taken me. And that's healthy. But I can't see how far I've come unless I have a healthy understanding on where I was. And so your testimony is powerful. And who you used to be is so powerful. Because you actually can overcome that guy or that girl. It's not this dream 
And they tell you things, and I've been involved, and I've been places. They'll tell you things like, oh, once you're stuck here, you'll always be addicted. And I've heard that my whole life. And, and I, when, man, when I was getting off of heroin, I heard you'll always be addicted. And I'm not. I'm absolutely, genuinely, I don't crave those things anymore that they said I would always crave. But I don't use my past as a crippling thing to say I have to, I have to build these walls and be terrified because my past is such a dark place. I can look like, wow, there's a God so big that what the world says is unovercomerable. I've overcame it. And I'm just naturally walking in it. And my mind doesn't go back to those things because my God is so good. Amen? And it's totally possible and it's totally real. And that's what God is teaching the Joshua generation right now. And so I got three quick points for you. Again, quick as subjective. I apologize. I got three quick points for you. Quick points for you. And the first one is our testimony should always empower our future. And I kind of drew attention to why I think that. If you look into the Bible, Joshua section we just read, God says, go back into the water, right? And I'm being super charismatic here. Go back into your past and take something to remember what you've been through. My past empowers me. And I actually wrote this, the only time dwelling in your past is acceptable is when you're using it to empower your present or future. It is the only time. The Bible says that when I die to myself, as Jesus died and was resurrected, and as I get accepted into as, accept him as my Lord and Savior, I get accepted as a child of God, I get accepted into the kingdom of God, right? As these things begin to happen, the Bible says that old things pass away, right? What the Bible teaches is that God gave the wrath he had towards our past onto his son, which is why that's that really uncomfortable verse that said it was God's good pleasure to crush his son. Um, because he took all of his anger on your past away, which means all God has left is the beauty on where you've come from and where you're going. I've loved this. It's said before about God, God is a gardener. And something my wife loves plants. I like when there's beautiful roses in the house. I do not like when there's this random little stump that just makes everything look ugly. You know, but my wife gardens it and she loves it and she has a good time with it because even those ugly moments are beautiful to her. And actually, because she paid attention to the stub, to the little blossom, she'll come like, oh, my God, it's blossoming. How exciting. And I look at it, I'm like, yay. <laughs> I don't care. Not even a little. I don't even pretend to care. I'm like, baby, Calvio, she'll love it. I'm trying here. Theo's her sister. I'm trying here. But, but I'm not a gardener. right? But God is, and he actually enjoys that time with you. It's why if you look after Jesus resurrected, one of the first things he did was walk seven miles with two men who didn't know who he was. Jesus enjoys the process. And that he walks with us. And that it turns our testimony to something beautiful because just like with the Old Testament, we can go back to our past and see all the times that God showed up. If we're really looking for it. Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 to 16. Here's what Paul writes. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it on my own, but this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward for what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. And Paul begins to... Paul never forgets where he came from. And if you write, if you see his letters, Paul tells people like, oh, I was the greatest of all sinners. 
And yet Christ, and because of God and his good grace, I am what I am. And so he uses, that's my life verse, by the way. He uses my life verse. Thank you, Paul. He uses my life verse of his past to empower his present. And what he says is, is we use it to go forward in our call. And so for many of us, our testimony in our past actually stops us from moving forward in our call. It stops us. Man, I really feel like I think I'm ready. I want to start leading. I want to start serving. I want to start praying for people. I want to start, I want to live a better, stronger life, but I just can't. You know, I'm that kind of guy that if I do something dumb in the beginning of the day, I just decide the whole day's off. And I just like shut down. Like, why might as well just be terrible the rest of the day and I'll get back to Jesus the next day. And actually, God doesn't call us to be that way. He calls us to press forward, to be that moment that God, even though I messed up this morning, the fact that you're still going to show up today is so beautiful. And so I'm going to keep pressing on to a greater call and a greater goal. Your past, even if your past was 10 minutes ago, it should always empower your present. Something that I was reading and studying that really drew my attention. Do you guys remember that section of scripture? And you might not, but who cares? I'm about to tell you it anyway. Where Jesus says to the paralytic man, pick up your mat and walk. Do you remember the, the blind man who threw his cloak and left it on the side and went to Jesus? See, most people would think that's how we're supposed to handle our past. But Jesus told him, and ask yourself why. Why did he say pick up your mat? Why didn't he just say leave your mat and walk? There's power in an empty mat. There's a reminder in an empty mat. And so what he said was, I want that mat at your house. I want it by your bed because I want you to wake up every morning and remember, I don't have to lay here anymore. And so what Jesus is telling this guy is, don't forget your past, but go. Don't forget where you came from, but get away from where you came from. Be empowered by where you came from, but go be stronger away from that, right? And so he says, pick up your mat, pick up your reminder, pick up who you used to be and walk away. And there's something so beautiful about that. And so you got to let that empower. And I don't know what we struggle with. I know what I struggle with. I know what elements of my past hold me back. And it's real easy to say, ignore it or let it empower you. But when we're deep in our anger or our shame, or our lust, it's real hard sometimes to get that perspective. But God calls us to anyway. And uh, I think sometimes, not I think, God gives an answer. It's in my next point. He doesn't just tell you to go back. He tells your whole community to go back. Right? He calls 12 people, one from every person of the tribe, so that you would remember all of you came from here. And our second point is our testimony draws us into deeper community. And maybe sometimes you can't overcome that perspective of yourself because you just haven't talked about it. And maybe it's someone else giving you the word of, hey, man, you got to overcome this. Hey, man, why don't you see it like this? Hey, because sometimes I can't see God in my past, but a bird's eye view always can. And sometimes the third party is the person we need to hear. By the way, I believe that our relationship with God is absolutely personal. It's a one-on-one thing between me and him. But I also believe that in our personal one-on-one time, he has called me to get together and assemble with people. Because can I tell you, my, me coming and finding Jesus, it did not go like this. I was not sitting on a park bench. And then God parted the heavens. God parted the heavens. And that Jesus came walking down. And he came in front of me. And he touched me and I was healed. That'd be a cool testimony. That's not what happened. What happened was God, in his grace, 
led me along a path that interacted with people that were filled with his spirit. And those people gave me words and encouraged me and walked with me and talked with me. And their lives and our relationship is what pointed me to my savior eventually. And so what I found in my personal life and probably in many of yours, my walk with God was not just me and him, but also the people that he sent along the way, right? You hear the story of the man, he's sitting in the boat, or no, he's sitting on, on the floor and it's flooding. Classic church story. And he says, God, save me. And a boat comes by, and the man says, jump in. And the man says, oh, I'm not going to jump in. God's going to save me. And so the guy says, okay, and he leaves. And then a helicopter comes by and says, get in. And he says, oh, I'm not going to leave. I'm praying, and God's going to save me. And the man drowns. And he goes to heaven and says, God, why, why didn't you save me? He goes, I sent a boat and a helicopter. Right? That, that story, that's what the community of Christ is. It's the boat and the helicopter. It's what God is using to strengthen you. Is why when God didn't send one man, he didn't send Joshua back. Hey, Joshua, build an altar so that everyone remembers that I used you. He says, no, grab 12 men from your community so they remember that I used everybody, that I was with everybody, that it's a community that's going to hold us together. It's not just one man and one God. It's a God with his bride, and his bride is a body, and the body has many members, and the members are us right? And so our role is to interact with each other and strengthen each other. And so many of us get separated from community. And community is not I showed up on Sunday. Community is I have friends that are about this too, because I'm about it also. And so I want to give you a Bible verse on that. Um, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another. We need to stir each other up. In love and good works. But God's the lover. He's the one that's going to make me love. No, no, the Bible says that we're supposed to stir each other up to love more. And here's the big secret. That was my son. He's adorable. Um, and, and here's the big secret. Because we're all filled with the Holy Spirit and the fullness of God is in all of us. When we walk according to God, it is as if God did it. That's the point. That's why he says that we are... Oh, what's the word? When you go to another country ambassador. <laughs> Thank you. Y'all are the best. That's why he says that we're an ambassador because I'm walking as a representation of the kingdom, right? And, and uh, not neglecting to meet together. Uh-oh, that won't preach. No, but you, you don't have to meet together. That's not what the Bible says. Uh, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. God, stir me up in good works. Well, I did, but you keep avoiding the people that are stirring you. God, stir me up to be who I've called to be. Well, you're offended at the guy because he corrected you at the thing that would lead you to who you were supposed to be. Well, yeah, I brought the word. You just didn't want to hear it, and so now you're sitting until you're ready to hear it, right? And so sometimes that is how God deals with us, and that's also, you guys, many of you here in this room who have touched and interacted with me in moments of my weakness, you're forever a part of my testimony, and that makes it to where I'll forever be grateful for you, and that when I remember you guys, though we've all had negative interactions with each other, we've also all had positive interactions with each other, and I'm going to choose to remember the good interactions because that's what got me here. Amen? And when you look like that, sometimes those negative interactions, you suddenly get a new perspective, and suddenly they're good interactions. There's no such thing as a bad example. Just an example. And uh, Neil Cole, I actually don't know who he is. It was just a good quote. I mean, he could be like a Satanist for all I know, but it's a good quote. Um, he said, churches don't always bear the fruit that they should without first being challenged. And I think that applies so well to the individual. We don't always bear the fruit that we should without first being challenged. Amen. And my last point in closing, 
here in closing. See, I saw it though, like eight people that were looking at their phones looked up. I'm like, you're back. Welcome back. Welcome back to the message. I missed you. Uh, oh, he wants me to like people. Back to my phone. I'm going to talk to the fake people on the internet. Right? Isn't that the same thing though? Like, oh, whatever. You got to get off Facebook and get your face in the book. But that didn't work because I'm saying talk to each other. <laughs> okay. Uh, and the last point is uh, our testimony should keep our hearts on our first love. My favorite part of the section of scripture that we read today was when someday your children will look at this testimony and say, what does this mean to you? And when I've read that section of scripture, it's hot. And when I've read that section of scripture, what it's always translated to me is, so my testimony is for a future generation. And I've never read it from the light of, what does it mean to me? Not what does my testimony mean to the next generation? But what they're asking is, what does it mean to you? The reason why he brings up your kids is because that implies it's been a lot of years. So now that you have kids, is that testimony still a fire to you? Are you still impassioned by it? Or have you forgotten it? And every time someone preaches on this topic, they go to a section of scripture. So I try to find a better one, and there just isn't one. Uh, so we're going to go to Revelation chapter 2, verse 4. But I have this thing against you. And this is actually Jesus talking to a church. And I have this thing against you, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. See, if you read that section of Scripture, what it says is, you guys are good. You guys weeded out false prophets. You guys attacked false teachers. You guys got rid of the heretics from your crew. You guys did all the right things. You're joyful. You're worshiping. It's a good time. But you're not in love. And Paul planted that church in about the 30s is what we believe. The Ephesus church, by the way, that's what he's talking to. John is writing this letter in about the 90s, 90 AD, meaning that he's talking to a second generation. He's talking to the people that were still alive when Paul planted this. You're old now. You're mature now. Have you forgot your first love? Because, I mean, let's be real. I can only imagine how hard it is to hang on to the positive things God has done in your life 10 years from now when sometimes I forgot my Monday. You know? And one of the great challenges of the gospel is that God calls us to stay on fire consistently. Um, you can come up. Get the whole band up. I want us to worship and have a good time. I, I know I brought it up before, but I kind of want to bring it up again. Um, I, I talk sometimes when it's relevant, and it's been a little bit more recently about my, my testimony and my history. And, and something I've heard said many times before is, um, and it's funny, it actually it impacted me because of where I came from. A pastor one time asked, what's the difference between a Christian and a drug addict? And he said, the drug addict never forgot his first high. And in my life, at least, that is incredibly true. When I was stuck on the things I was stuck on, it's because I was craving how great it was the first time. And so it created a consistent and daily action in my life in response to wanting to keep that level of high. But when God says, don't forget your first love, 
He's taking you back to that time you cried at the altar even though you're a tough man and we don't cry. He's taking you back to the time that you were by yourself and got on your knees and wept. And weeping had always been a public thing to get attention and suddenly it became a real thing when I was by myself. He's saying, go back to that. Where is that? Is that there? And I think it's so easy for us to lose sight of that, lose track of that, because, heck, I lose sight of it. As I'm writing this message, there's just convictions coming into my life all the time. It's like, hey, remember when I was talking to you about this last year? What happened to that? Why aren't you chasing that anymore? I'm like, oh, no. Remember when I used to wake you up at 3 in the morning to pray? Why don't I do that anymore? Remember when I used to tap your shoulder when you were out at a mall to go pray for someone? Why don't I tap you anymore? Did the people change? And the truth was, it's me. The truth was, it's how I deal with God that changed. The truth is that I forgot my first love. or I got wrapped up in the negativity of my past that I couldn't see the positivity of what was coming. And so our past comes at us from two fronts. Where we try, I think we naturally try desperately to remember the bad. Where we naturally try desperately to suppress the good. Because victimhood sells. But the point of the gospel is there's no longer victims because we're overcomers. And so we can't carry the narrative of I'm falling apart and, I, and there's nothing I can do. There's no, do you see how this person attacked me? Do you see what they did to me? That doesn't carry into Christianity anymore because God says love them like I loved you and I'll move on their behalf. And so don't play the victim. Play someone who's overcome and play someone who's stronger than that moment because of where you've come from. And that's definitely easier said than done. But it's so necessary for greater things in Christ. And, and I end... Huh, I end on kind of two points. Uh, point one is to draw attention back to what I had said earlier with Jesus on the boat with his disciples. And when he tells them, you can't learn this new lesson because you keep forgetting what I've taught you before. What is God trying to teach you now? But what does it require that you remember in a new way, in a new light? The way I always equate this is God pays our rent check every week. Every month it comes along and it looks like we're not going to make it. And yet every time God shows up. So why am I scared still this month? Why have I still not learned the lesson? Why am I still afraid if God's not going to move this time? Has he ever not moved? No, he keeps moving. So why do I keep forgetting? Right? And that's the thing one I want to draw attention to. But thing two, it goes back to prayer. The very first point of this message, how is your personal, intimate relationship with your God? A story I've told here before, and I want to tell it in actual for real closing, is the story of David Livingston. It's one of my favorite stories in all of history when it comes to martyrs or church leaders of history. Because he was, the, they call him the great, the great missionary to Africa. And he goes on, that's, that's saying my time's up. Um, whoops. So for, as I close for the next hour. Um the great missionary to Africa. And, and David Livingston is the one who said the line that actually really stuck with me, and that is, if a mission from an earthly king is an honor, then why is a commission from a heavenly king a sacrifice? And so this guy lived a crazy life for God because he never saw it as a sacrifice. He always saw it as his great honor. And that's something that I've always held dear to my heart because I'm like, that sense of honor, that sense of thank you, God, for using me again. Uh, we've heard a, an old, very old preacher who told us when he comes up on stage, he goes, every time I come on stage, I grab the side and I said, thank you, God, for using me one more time. And he comes up and preaches. And he keeps honor 
fresh in his mind. And, but the thing about David Livingston is, David Livingston was known as a man who prayed. He was known as a man who had a personal, intimate relationship with God. He was known at his wife's funeral for getting on his knees and saying, God, I will continue even in my pain to strengthen me. That he, when his wife passed away, he didn't break. He kept moving. I'd break. But he kept moving. And, and when David Livingston got so old, he couldn't walk through the African cities anymore. The Africans had so fallen in love with him that they began to carry him on a cot from city to city and let him preach. And the story goes that one day when they were taking a break, he asked if he could go pray like was customary to him. He went and prayed alone like was customary to him. And they, so they set him down and they leave him and they keep coming to the door and he's, keep, he's in the position of prayer and he won't stop praying. And so they keep leaving and coming back, but they don't want to get him away from his prayer place. So they keep leaving and coming back and then one, eventually one opens and taps him on the shoulder and he falls over dead. And what the man who saw him said was, David Livingston died the same way that he lived on his knees before his God. And that is how I want to be known. And that is how I want to be remembered. The reason why he could face his testimony and his trials was because his personal relationship with God was so deep that whether he was alive or, what, or he was dead, it didn't change what he was going to do next. And David Livingston's body was sent back to England, but the Africans cut out his heart and buried it in Africa, as the story goes. Because they said he may have been from England, but his heart was for us. And even in his death, the people he touched because of how he used his testimony, how he used his wife's death, how he saw honoring God, how he grew and how he prayed, they were so moved by that. These people genuinely believed he loves me. And God loves me too.